Chapter fifty five, part four of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six by Francois Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty five. Louis the fifteenth, the philosophers, part four. Voltaire, however, returned to that Paris in which he was born in which he had lived but little since his early days, to which he belonged by the merits as well as the defects of his mind, and in which he was destined to die. In spite of his protests about his being a rustic and a republican, he had never allowed himself to slacken the ties which united him to his Parisian friends. The letters of the patriarch of Ferney circulated amongst the philosophical fraternity, they were repeated in the correspondence of Grimm and Diderot with foreign princes. From his splendid retreat at Ferney he cheered and excited the literary zeal and often the anti-religious ardor of the encyclopedists. He had, however, ceased all work in connection with that great work since it had been suspended, and afterwards resumed at the orders and with the permission of government. The more and more avowed materialistic theories revolted his shrewd and sensible mind. Without caring to go to the bottom of his thought and contemplate its consequences, he clung to the notion of providence as to a waif in the great shipwreck of positive creeds. He could not imagine, quote, this clock without a maker could exist, end quote. It is his common sense, and not the religious yearnings of his soul, that makes him write in the poem of La Loi Naturelle, quote, O God, whom men ignore, whom everything reveals, hear thou the latest words of him who now appeals. Tis searching out thy law that hath bewildered me. My heart may go astray, but it is full of thee, end quote. When he was old and suffering, he said to Madame Necker, in one of those fits of melancholy to which he was subject, quote, The thinking faculty is lost just like the eating, drinking, and digesting faculties. The marionettes of providence, in fact, are not made to last as long as it. End quote. In his dying hour, Voltaire was seen showing more concern for terrestrial scandals than for the terrors of conscience, crying aloud for a priest and with his mouth full of the blood he spat, still repeating in a half-whisper, I don't want to be thrown into the kennel. A sad confession of the insufficiency of his convictions, and of the inveterate levity of his thoughts. He was afraid of the judgment of man, without dreading the judgment of God. Thus was revealed the real depth of an infidelity of which Voltaire himself, perhaps, had not calculated the extent and the fatal influences. Voltaire was destined to die at Paris. There he found the last joys of his life, and there he shed the last rays of his glory. For the twenty-seven years during which he had been away from it, he had worked much, written much, done much. Whilst almost invariably disavowing his works, he had furnished philosophy with pointed and poisoned weapons against religion. He had devoted to humanity much time and strength, one of the last delights he had tasted was the news of the decree which cleared the memory of M. de Lally. He had received into his house, educated and found a husband for the grand-niece of the great Corneille. He had applied the inexhaustible resources of his mind at one time to good and at another to evil, with almost equal ardour. 
he was old he was ill yet this same ardour still possessed him when he arrived at paris on the tenth of february seventeen seventy eight the excitement caused by his return was extraordinary Quote, this new prodigy has stopped all other interest for some time writes grimm it has put an end to rumours of war intrigues of civil life squabbles at court encyclopaedic pride appeared diminished by half the sorbonne shook all over the parliament kept silence all the literary world is moved all paris is ready to fly to the idol's feet so much attention and so much glory had been too much for the old man voltaire was dying in his fright he had sent for a priest and had confessed when he rose from his bed by a last effort of the marvellous elasticity inherent in his body and his mind he resumed for a while the course of his triumphs Quote, Monsieur de voltaire has appeared for the first time at the academy and at the play he found all the doors all the approaches to the academy besieged by a multitude which only opened slowly to let him pass and then rushed in immediately upon his footsteps with repeated plaudits and acclamations the academy came out into the first room to meet him an honour it had never yet paid to any of its members not even to the foreign princes who had deigned to be present at its meetings the homage he received at the academy was merely the prelude to that which awaited him at the national theatre as soon as his carriage was seen at a distance there arose a universal shout of joy all the curbstones all the barriers all the windows were crammed with spectators and scarcely was the carriage stopped when people were already on the imperial and even on the wheels to get a nearer view of the divinity scarcely had he entered the house when sieur brizard came up with a crown of laurels which madame de villette placed upon the great man's head but which he immediately took off though the public urged him to keep it on by clapping of hands and by cheers which resounded from all corners of the house with such a din as was never heard quote. Quote, all the women stood up i saw at one time that part of the pit which was under the boxes going down on their knees in despair of getting a sight any other way the whole house was darkened with the dust raised by the ebb and flow of the excited multitude it was not without difficulty that the players managed at last to begin the piece it was irene which was given for the sixth time never had this tragedy been better played never less listened to never more applauded the illustrious old man rose to thank the public and the moment afterwards there appeared on a pedestal in the middle of the stage a bust of this great man and the actresses garlands and crowns in hand covered it with laurels m de voltaire seemed to be sinking beneath the burden of age and of the homage with which he had just been overwhelmed he appeared deeply affected his eyes still sparkled amidst the pallor of his face but it seemed as if he breathed no longer save with the consciousness of his glory the people shouted lights lights that everybody may see him the coachman was entreated to go at a walk and thus he was accompanied by cheering and the crowd as far as pont royal thus is described in the words of an eye-witness the last triumph of an existence that had been one of ceaseless agitation owing to voltaire himself far more than to the national circumstances and events of the time at which he lived 
his anxious vanity and the inexhaustible movement of his mind had kept him constantly fluctuating between alternations of intoxication and despair he had the good fortune to die at the very pinnacle of success and renown the only immortality he could comprehend or desire at the outset of a new and hopeful reign he did not see he had never apprehended the terrible catastrophe to which he had been thoughtlessly contributing for sixty years a rare piece of good fortune and one which might be considered too great if the limits of eternal justice rested upon earth and were to be measured by our compass voltaire's incessant activity bore many fruits which survived him he contributed powerfully to the triumph of those notions of humanity justice and freedom which superior to his own ideal did honour to the eighteenth century he became the model of a style clear neat brilliant the natural exponent of his own mind far more than of the as yet confused hopes and aspirations of his age he defended the rights of common sense and sometimes withstood the anti-religious passion of his friends but he blasted both minds and souls with his sceptical jibes his bitter and at the same time temperate banter disturbed consciences which would have been revolted by the materialistic doctrines of the encyclopedists the circle of infidelity widened under his hands his disciples were able to go beyond him on the fatal path he had opened to them voltaire has remained the true representative of the mocking and stone-flinging phase of free thinking knowing nothing of the deep yearnings any more than of the supreme wretchlessness of the human soul which it kept imprisoned within the narrow limits of earth and time at the outcome from the bloody slough of the french revolution and from the chaos it caused in men's souls it was the infidelity of voltaire which remained at the bottom of the scepticism and moral disorder of the france of our day the demon which torments her is even more voltairean than materialistic other influences more sincere and at the same time more dangerous were simultaneously undermining men's minds the group of encyclopedists less prudent and less temperate than voltaire flaunted openly the flag of revolt at the head marched diderot the most daring of all the most genuinely affected by his own ardour without perhaps being the most sure of his ground in his negations his was an original and exuberant nature expansively open to all new impressions Quote, in my country he says we pass within twenty-four hours from cold to hot from calm to storm and this changeability of climate extends to the persons thus from earliest infancy we are wont to shift with every wind the head of a langrois stands on his shoulders like a weathercock on the top of a church steeple it is never steady at one point and if it comes round again to that which it had left it is not to stop there as for me i am of my country only residents of the capital in constant application have corrected me a little narrow circumstances had their share in the versatility of diderot's genius as well as in the variety of his labours son of a cutler at langres a strict and virtuous man denis diderot born in seventeen fifteen had at first been intended by his father for the church he was educated at harcourt college and he entered an attorney's office the young man worked incessantly but not a law-book did he open Quote, 
"'What do you mean to be, pray?' the lawyer asked him one day. "'Do you think of being an attorney?' Quote, "'No.' Quote, "'A barrister?' Quote, "'No.' Quote, "'A doctor?' Quote, "'No more than the rest.' Quote, "'What then?' Quote, "'Nothing at all. I like study. I'm very happy, very contented. I ask no more.' Diderot's father stopped the allowance he had been making his son, trusting thus to force him to choose a profession. But the young man gave lessons for a livelihood. Quote, I know a pretty good number of things, he wrote towards the end of his life, but there is scarcely a man who doesn't know his own thing better than I do. This mediocrity in every sort is the consequence of insatiable curiosity and of means so small that, they never permitted me to devote myself to one single branch of human knowledge. I have been forced all my life to follow pursuits for which I was not adapted, and to leave on one side those for which I had a call from inclination." Before he was thirty years old, and without any resource but his lessons and the work of every sort he did for third parties, Diderot married. He had not asked the consent of his parents, but this did not prevent him from saddling them before long with his wife and child. Quote, she started yesterday, he writes quite simply to his father. She will be with you in three days. You can say anything you like to her, and when you are tired of her, you can send her back. Diderot intended to be free at any price, and he threw off, one after another, the fetters he had forged for himself, not without remorse, however and not without acknowledging that he was thus wanting to all natural duties. Quote, what can you expect, he would exclaim, of a man who has neglected wife and daughter, got into debt, given up being husband and father? Diderot never neglected his friends. Amidst his pecuniary embarrassments, when he was reduced to coin his brain for a livelihood, his labor and his marvelous facility were always at the service of all. It was to satisfy the requirements of a dangerous fair friend that he wrote his Pensée philosophique, the sad tale of the bijoux indiscret and the lettres sur les aveugles, those early attacks upon religious faith which sent him to pass a few months in prison at the castle of Vincennes. It was to oblige Grimm that he for the first time gave his mind to painting and wrote his Salon, intended to amuse and instruct the foreign princes. Quote, a pleasure which is only for myself affects me but slightly and lasts but a short time he used to say it is for self and friends that i read reflect write meditate hear look feel in their absence my devotion towards them refers everything to them i am always thinking of their happiness does a beautiful line strike me they shall know it have i stumbled upon a beautiful trait i make up my mind to communicate it to them have I before my eyes some enchanting scene, unconsciously I meditate an account of it for them. To them I have dedicated the use of all my senses and of all my faculties, and that perhaps is the reason why everything is exaggerated, everything is embellished a little in my imagination and in my talk, and they sometimes reproach me with this, the ingrates." It was further, in conjunction with his friends and in community of ideas, that Diderot undertook the immense labor of the Encyclopédia. Having, in the first instance, 
received a commission from a publisher to translate the english collection of ephraim chambers diderot was impressed with the desire to unite in one and the same collection all the efforts and all the talents of his epoch so as to render joint homage to the rapid progress of science won over by his enthusiasm d'alembert consented to share the task and he wrote the beautiful exposition in the introduction voltaire sent his articles from delis the jesuits had proposed to take upon themselves a certain number of questions but their co-operation was declined it was a monument to philosophy that the encyclopedists aspired to raise the clergy were in common at seeing the hostile army till then uncertain and unbanded rally organized and disciplined around this vast enterprise an early veto soon however taken off compelled the philosophers to a certain moderation voltaire ceased writing for the encyclopedia it was not sufficiently free-going for him Quote, you admit articles worthy of the trevoux journal he said to d'alembert new severities on the part of the parliament and the grand council dealt a blow to the philosophers before long the editor's privilege was revoked orders were given to seize diderot's papers la moignon de malzerbe who was at that time director of the press and favourable to freedom without ever having abused it in thought or action sent him secret warning diderot ran home in consternation quote, what's to be done he cried how move all my manuscripts in twenty-four hours i haven't time even to make a selection and above all where find people who would and can take charge of them safely quote, send them all to me replied m de malesherbes nobody will come thither to look for them feeble governments are ill-served even by their worthiest servants the severities ordered against the encyclopedia did not stop its publication d'alembert however weary of the struggle had ceased to take part in the editorship naturally cool and moderate when it was nothing to do with mademoiselle de l'espinasse the great affection of his life the illustrious geometer was content with a little quote, twelve hundred livres a year are enough for me he wrote to the great frederick who was pressing him to settle in his dominions i will not go and reap the succession to maupertuis during his lifetime i am overlooked by government just as so many others by providence persecuted as much as anybody can be if some day i have to fly my country i will simply ask frederick's permission to go and die in his dominions free and poor frederick the second gave d'alembert a pension it had but lately been louis the fourteenth who thus lavished kindnesses on foreign scholars he made an offer to the encyclopedists to go and finish their vast undertaking at berlin catherine the second made the same offers asking d'alembert besides to take charge of the education of her son quote, i know your honesty too well she wrote to attribute your refusals to vanity i know that the cause is merely love of repose in order to cultivate literature and friendship but what is to prevent your coming with all your friends i promise you and them too all the comforts and every facility that may depend upon me and perchance you will find more freedom and repose than you have at home you do not yield to the entreaties of the king of prussia and to the gratitude you owe him it is true but then he has no son i confess that i have my son's education so much at heart and that you are so necessary to me that perhaps i press you too much 
pardon my indiscretion for the reason's sake and rest assured that it is esteem which has made me so selfish d'alembert declined the education of the hereditary grand duke just as he had declined the presidency of the academy at berlin an infidel and almost a materialist by the geometer's rule who knows no power but the laws of mathematics he did not carry into anti-religious strife the bitterness of voltaire or the violence of diderot Quote, squelch the thing you are always repeating to me he said to voltaire on the fourth of may seventeen sixty two ah my good friend let it go to rack and ruin of itself it is hurrying thereto faster than you suppose more and more absorbed by pure science which he never neglected save for the french academy whose perpetual secretary he had become d'alembert left to diderot alone the care of continuing the encyclopedia when he died in seventeen eighty three at fifty-six years of age the work had been finished nearly twenty years in spite of the bad faith of publishers who mutilated articles to render them acceptable in spite of the condemnation of the clergy and the severities of the council the last volumes of the encyclopedia had appeared in seventeen sixty five this immense work unequal and confused as it was a medley of various and often ill-assorted elements undertaken for and directed to the fixed end of an aggressive emancipation of thought had not sufficed to absorb the energy and powers of diderot Quote, i am awaiting with impatience the reflection of pantophile diderot on tancred wrote voltaire everything is within the sphere of activity of his genius he passes from the heights of metaphysics to the weaver's trade and thence he comes to the stage the stage indeed occupied largely the attention of diderot who sought to introduce reforms the fruit of his own thought as well as of imitation of the germans which he had not perhaps sufficiently considered for the classic tragedies the heritage of which voltaire received from the hands of racine diderot aspired to substitute the natural drama his two attempts in that style le père de famille and le fils naturel had but little success in france and contributed to develop in germany the school already founded by lessing an excess of false sensibility and an inflation of expression had caused certain true ideas to fall flat on the french stage Quote, you have the inverse of dramatic talent said abbe arnaud to diderot the proper thing is to transform oneself into all the characters and you transform all the characters into yourself the criticism did diderot wrong he had more wits than his characters and he was worth more at bottom than those whom he described carried away by the richness as well as the unruliness of his mind destitute as he was of definite and fixed principles he recognized no other moral law than the natural impulse of the soul Quote, there is no virtue or vice he used to say but innate goodness or badness certain religious cravings nevertheless sometimes asserted themselves in his conscience he had a glimmering perception of the necessity for a higher rule and law o oh god i know not whether thou art he wrote in his interpretation de la nature but i will think as if thou didst see into my soul i will act as if i were in thy presence a strange illusion on the part of the philosopher about the power of ideas as well as about the profundity of evil in the human heart 
Diderot fancied he could regulate his life by a perchance, and he was constantly hurried away by the torrent of his passion into a violence of thought and language foreign to his natural benevolence. It was around his name that the philosophic strife had waxed most fierce. The act of campaign undertaken by his friends to open to him the doors of the French Academy remained unsuccessful. Quote, he has too many enemies, said Louis XV. His election shall not be sanctioned. End quote. Diderot did not offer himself. He set out for St. Petersburg. The Empress Catherine had loaded him with kindnesses. Hearing of the poverty of the philosopher who was trying to sell his library to obtain a dower for his daughter, she bought the books, leaving the enjoyment of them to Diderot, whom she appointed her librarian, and to secure his maintenance in advance, she had a sum of fifty thousand livres remitted to him. Quote, so here I am obliged in conscience to live fifty years, said Diderot. End of chapter 55, part 4